So uh, this this lecture is about medical consults and when are they appropriate and what happens and what are some things I should be thinking about um, when it comes to uh, things medical. There's some overlap. We need to understand that. We have we need to have a good background understanding. And so I'm going to take you through some of my thoughts that I've been pondering for a long time and uh, arrived here today. So you're going to get a little bit of that background. And then hopefully after the background, and I, I hope you can appreciate that, we're going to jump into a little bit of the uh, practical. So we'll jump in. I titled uh, the first section, A Good Theology of Health. But what really, what is that? That's trying to understand the physical body. That's all it is. The, our physical human nature, part of our nature is the physical and so we need to understand, well, what does the Bible tell us about this? You're going to see a bunch of verses here in a minute. It's going to be, it, it might seem really random to you. I'm going to take things from some of these verses that normally you wouldn't. But hang with me, please. It's, it's going to make sense in a minute, I promise. Uh, so let's start at Genesis uh, 2.15. So the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. And keep it right here at the very beginning. We see something about the physical nature of man, and that's going to be his immortal nature that he was initially given. We also see there's actually there's a body. There's a physical presence. God gave man this physical body right off right from the beginning and gave that body a job to do. Genesis three seventeen through 19 Cursed is the ground because of you. Of course, everybody knows what happened before this. I'm skipping ahead for the sake of time. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Uh, here we see, of course, this is after the fall. This is kind of the curse. But now we see that we, the man, God never changes, right? But we were initially never going to change. We changed. We went from the immortal to the mortal. I didn't say eternal. Only God is eternal. But we went from the immortal to the mortal. Dust to dust, we are going to death. Is quite when we come to the realization. I don't know when in our kid or adult life we realize, oh, we're all headed to the same place. We're headed to dust. What an incredible understanding, wake up call. Whenever we're young, we realize, wow, we're going to get there one day. But don't only see this march towards physical death. We actually see this strain. And this struggle that's going to occur the entire time. A strain and struggle. Look at the thorns and the thistles. Okay? That's symbolic of a lot of things I'm going to propose to you. It's even going to be symbolic of a lot of physical things. But not only to the human body. Let's look at Romans 8. For the creation was subjected. Am I moving this forward? I'm not. Okay. If, if 
okay, this is the first time I've lectured in this format. If I miss a slide, move me forward. If I miss a blank, say, Doc, you missed a blank. Okay, I want to fix that for you. Okay, please. Thank you. <laughs> I'm with the right crowd. Thank you. For this creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Was it only man who fall or was there something that fell with man? Something fell with man. What was that? All of creation fell with man. Okay. What might that mean? That means a lot. I'll give you a couple examples. I'm a farm. Remember, I'm west of I-35. Okay. Have you all seen a mother cow abandon their calf? Many of you are probably west of I-35. You probably understand these things. It happens. It shouldn't happen, right? Have you now? We don't have bears, but have you, have you seen the Discovery Show where the like the big bear like eats the little bears or kills them because he doesn't want the competition? It's not working right, is it? Something's not working right. Okay. When you were a kid, did you see in biology class how the the lady, the female praying mantis, lets mates with the male and then eats his head? It's not okay, is it? That's not right. Um, so all of creation fell with us so it wasn't just humans i know often i found myself i don't know if you did the same thing but i'm very man focused man centered and sometimes i fail to think that all of creation actually fell with man matthew 8 am i there nope here we go y'all catch me when he had entered capernaum you're gonna wonder why are you doing this i'm getting there hold with me when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Okay, there's lots to say. In fact, I've got a few more verses. There's lots to say about this. But what I want you to see here is I want you to see just one example of Jesus Christ in his humanity having confessed compassion on someone else in their humanity in the flesh he has compassion on their physical health and we see i could give you probably 30 more examples mark 4 38 through 39 but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion remember this is on the sea of galilee and they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Typically we use this passage like to see uh, Christ dominion over creation. I want to look at it from a different lens this time. Okay. God gave, Christ was giving reprieve from a harsh planet. They like that. Wow. We had a violence a creation violence that wasn't right. This violence was threatening the apostles and Christ gave peace over that threat. 
Stick with the theme here. We have a broken creation. Do we not see that in that story? Yes, you see that in the story. We usually don't think of it that way. But for this lecture right now, let's just look at it that way. Christ gave reprieve. So Luke 24. Now we turn. Luke 24. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now I've got you completely confused, but here we go. Here's the explanation. Why did I, why did I go here? To me, this is one of the most astounding little pieces of scripture. Why is that? If you go back, so of course the apostles don't really understand. Jesus has been telling them all along what's going to happen, and they really just didn't understand. And they didn't quite get it. He died, even though you know they'd been told in a thousand different ways what's about to happen. They were defeated. They, they were just scattered. They're just not doing well. And then they see Jesus. And then what's one of their thoughts about Jesus right off the bat? Is he goes, yeah, this is spirit. Spirit only, right? Flesh dies, flesh is in dust. It's over. They're thinking, wow, this is spirit only. And I, I've just never been able to get over the fact, you know, I, I, it, you know, there's, there's a couple different, different scriptures on this. There's the, you know, feeling the scars, feeling the side, right? But I'm like, no, he did more than that. He's like, here, I'm going to take this fish. I'm going to digest it right in front of you. What does that say? Is it just validates, it verifies, it declares that there is not only a spiritual body, there is a future physical body. And I just did it. I just conquered the grave. And this physical body is going back to immortality. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So let's digest this with we're thinking physical body here. Okay? So we're just contemplating this physical body, which sometimes we don't think enough about. Sometimes we think too much about it, but okay, we're gonna we're gonna really think about it today at least. So a few observations on these verses. Here they are. They're for you. I think maybe there's some blanks. Maybe the blanks start here. Number one, our physical bodies changed from immortal to mortal and this is because of the sin that came into the world that there was a change and we are still fleshing out or living out that change every single day we're struggling and straining many of you here no doubt are struggling and straining in the mortal flesh number two our physical bodies are gradually returning to dust Gradually returning to dust. Maybe I should even correct that. Sometimes they are rapidly returning to dust or spontaneously returning to dust. This is the maiden voyage for this lecture, so I have time to... <laughs> I might find corrections as I'm speaking, but if you do, you can certainly tell me. Please tell me about it. Uh, number three, all the created order fell with Adam. It wasn't just the human. It wasn't just the bodies. We sometimes don't think about that enough. I think everybody here probably knows that. But uh, we don't really contemplate that enough. The consequences of it as well and how we actually behave towards those consequences. Number four, the created order is also broken 
and at times dangerous. Did, did you see Jesus on the boat? That was a very dangerous situation. You've probably found yourself in dangerous situations before that might be associated with nature. If you haven't, you've certainly been through this COVID pandemic where we have broken nature that we've been struggling and straining with. What's the number next? Five. Five. Jesus cared about man's soul and also his physical body. He did. He resurrected his own physical body. But if you'll take a look at many of the examples, he actually had compassion not only for the soul, but he had compassion also for the physical body. In fact, I think there's such a prominence on this body. I mean, come on. He ate that fish. It's quite astounding. Quite astounding. Number six, Jesus guarantees our physical resurrection. Again, we see that there at his resurrection, his body, and this beautiful picture is our guarantee. So implications. There exists a physical battle against us, against man. We see this struggling and strain. This is the thorns and the thistles. Okay, We see this in a, on a variety of levels. We see this in the body. And so in the body, I'm thinking aging, disease, cancer. I threw in pandemics. That can be a bodily thing that we're fighting. Uh, but then we also have this created order, created order struggle that we have. And I put pandemics, disasters, wars, and injuries. And I probably could have just kept on going. That's, that's me thinking for about four or five minutes on just some examples. Quick and easy. What do these all represent? And I put the big word judgment right in the middle. This is the judgment of God. This started in the garden. This was with Adam. These are judgments against sin. And we all deserve all of this. All of this we deserve. There's no one immune to this. So often, I think, you know, we want to think every, sometimes it's a very true thing. A certain sin leads to a certain consequence. But sometimes these consequences and what you might see on this list, the consequence in all of these can be injury or death. Yet all of us, no matter where we are, we all deserve this. This is who we are. No matter how innocent it appears, we actually... This is, we're getting what we deserve in these occasions. However, we have been called what? God gave us the job of fighting the thorns and the thistles. This is a battle. This is the job. So God has actually called us to do this. This is God glorifying, I'm going to say, I'm going to propose, that we actually engage in this battle until the end, until we actually are dust. I think that's very biblical. Now, I've got some examples here. What? The first one is its funny. I, I had to include it. I don't understand it. So here we go. 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Okay, as a 21st century physician now, I don't get it. And I've, I've heard the commentaries. I've read several ideas. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. Um, 
I'm sure there's some cultural thing, timeline thing that was probably true, and it probably is. I don't get it. But what's the bigger point here? Or what am I trying to get? Why did I even include that? Is Paul thought it important enough to actually give physical advice to Timothy? Like, let me show you. I've got some advice for your body that has nothing really to do to anything except for your body. Proverbs 23, 20, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. What's the idea here? Is that our physical health, how we treat our body, what we do with our physical body actually matters. It's actually important. All of these three verses, this is just an example. I just grabbed a few that we can look for. There's actually, this, this actually matters. Modern, just some modern personal implications. How, what, what can we say about this today? We, we actually should. We should pursue physical health, I'm going to say this, in a God-glorifying way. We could do this in a non-God-glorifying way. What would that look like? I'm just going to give some examples out there. If you become maybe addicted to your local gymnasium, or if your identity becomes your diet, that's what your identity is, and that's what you press upon all those around you or your identity becomes your dependence on your physician and the next physician and the next pill and the polypharmacy and all the different things we do or your identity becomes just xyz that is not god glorifying for the body number two fight for healing relief and physical restoration within the will of god Again, thorns and thistles. We're to strain and struggle for health, healing, relief, and restoration. Number three, we fight physical sin habits. We kill these. Kind of like the Proverbs 23, 20 through 21. But others... All through scripture, drunkenness, gluttony, sexual impurity, obesity, smoking, physical vanity, all these have to do with your health, sinful habits that have a physical consequence. Number four, fight the fallen creation. We don't think about this all that often, but physical protection. What do we do? We, we live in a house. It's got a heater. It's got an air conditioner. Exposure. What do we do? You know, we, several of you are wearing coats. You know, we, we clothe ourselves. We warm ourselves. What do we do when it's 110 degrees? Throw on some sunscreen. <laughs> we protect ourselves from that sun. Yes, it's the sun is, you know, we say it's natural. It's beautiful. Yes, I agree with all those things, and it will kill you. Have you ever thought about that? That sun will kill you. It's a broken world. It is. It. it the world is beautiful, at the same time it will kill you. It's like a lion. I want to look at it, I want to enjoy it, but be careful. That thing will kill you. But pandemics, 
I mean, all in our different ways. I'm not going to go through all the different ways, but most of us are fighting this pandemic in our own way, whether it be a vaccine or talking to your doctors or your friends or blogging online or washing your hands or throwing on a mask or staying six feet apart or watching your temperature. All the, you know, we're all trying to be responsible, not get other people sick. It doesn't even have to do with COVID-19. It can be all the time. But we're actually involved in disease fighting. All of us, our sanitation, the way we have wonderful sewer systems. I don't even think about my sewer system. That stuff goes way down, down the hole and gets sterilized. Isn't that great? It's great. We do this. Hurricanes and floods and all the way, all the way down the list. Modern implications. So one more area I want to jump to before we get into the medical consults. I know we're getting there. I've nearly spent half my time building the case. <clears throat> but just understanding this nature of man, I, I, I didn't think I could really talk about the physical without just pointing this out. This is the, the true perspective is, well, it's not going to be the physical. I'm going, to, I'm going to use a few different adjectives. The physical, the biological, the atheistic, the evolutionary the psychologized, the scientific, all those are saying the same thing. There's only the physical, there's only matter. And when the matter's gone, it's all gone. There's really no greater point to it than that. Okay, so we're, I'm going to ditch that aside, obviously. We have the dichotomous view of man. Otherwise, man is two, two parts. This, this is going to be where, you know, where I'm going to stand on for the rest of the lecture, is that man is body and soul, that we are two parts. There's a nuance to that. Some people call it the trichotomous view of man. Some, some Christians talk about this, where they say man is body and then soul and spirit. I think it's nuanced, it's complex, and it's hard to biblically make that argument. Some of you might hold to that. I think it's difficult. Um, trying to nuance the difference when spirit and soul are used in the Bible. So I'm going to lean on the dichotomous view. That's my position. It's probably most of your positions. That trichotomous is going to look at a spirit and soul, a difference in definition. It's going to be spirit is this immaterial part of humanity, alive with Christ, dead without. Yes, but they're going to say soul is the entirety of the person, body, and spirit. That is the soul, and it's nuanced, it's complex. I'm going to avoid it. Here are the, the terms that the Bible used. The, the, the Bible doesn't use dichotomous view of man. It doesn't always use body and soul or body and spirit. It actually uses all these words right here. Flesh, body, soul, spirit, mind, heart, life, conscious, understanding, bowels, skin, others. I had a med student. I have a med student most days. I had a med student today with me. Um, at lunch, I was looking over this, and he was asking me questions. And so he said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, let me tell you. So we were talking through this. He's, a, he's an interesting kid. His, uh, his dad's a Baptist preacher. He goes to a church in Fort Worth. Uh, so we're going through this, and I was talking about this argument with him, and, he's, and he said, ah, well, what this should be is the pancotomous view then. All these words included in, in understanding. So if the trichotomous views are out, it has to be the pancotomous views because you have to get all, you even have to get bowels in there somehow. You've got to find a definition for bowels. So this was uh, borrowed from John Frame. So Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell 
Why are we to understand this? Because we have to understand it together. We have to know the body and soul. And this is, is really tough because it is quite mysterious. It is quite mysterious. But we affirm it. Absolutely, 100%, we affirm it. So the biblical view of man is the mysterious body and soul view that correctly describes the person as created by God. So what do we reject? Well, obviously we reject what I, I didn't even put in the slides. Maybe I should add it for next time. The, the what do you call it, the naturistic, the atheistic, the evolutionist, the biological, the matter only, uh, the physical only. Okay, yeah, that's easy. We reject that. Um, we also reject this Gnostic view that I think sometimes, we, you know, sometimes in our thought process, we would, none of us would say we're Gnostics, but I think sometimes, you know, just by our fallen nature, we, we accidentally kind of venture that way with our thought process and not even know it. But Gnosticism is a dualism that essentially declared that the flesh and body is evil and the soul, the inner spark, is good. So this inner spark or this whatever's inside of you, the soul, that's, that's all good and everything, physical flesh is bad. And I want to tell you, Jesus ate the fish. Jesus ate the fish. The physical is not necessarily bad. Okay? Not necessarily bad. So we need to understand this. So we reject Gnosticism. We reject a soul-spirit-only view of man. And we actually reject a, and we, and we absolutely reject a physical, psychological view of man. So understanding this inner, outer man, I'm going to use that. So the dichotomous view, the uh, soul body, I'm going, to, I'm going to use inner and outer man. I'm, I'm all speaking of the same thing. Um, of course, it, it, there's, there's a mis- this is very mysterious to us. It always has been. It's as mysterious as the Trinity is. It's mysterious as the, uh, the God-human nature of Jesus. And we are made in his likeness. We have a soul and a body. We have an inner man and an outer man. And sometimes we see this coming out in our sinful fallen way in a dysfunctional way. And you've seen this a lot. You might have seen it in your own life. I have it in my own life. I'll give you an example in a minute. Uh, you're going to see this in your life. You're going to see this in your families. You're going to see this in your council leads a lot. And so let's talk about this. Let's, we're, we're going to be diving into the second half of the lecture. But some medical examples of this of dysfunction or sin that happens in us that creates this physical expression of actually what's going on in the inner soul. And some of these classic examples, the panic symptoms, you know, that adrenaline rush. The adrenaline rush didn't originate from some physical thing. It always originates from the inner soul, the mind, the perceptions, what's going on around you, your surroundings, how you're interpreting. You know, when I open my front door and there's a rattlesnake, you know, there, why does my heart need to go to 150 beats a minute? It doesn't need to. All I need to do is take a step back. Because there's this interaction between what I experience and what my body does. There always has been. Panic symptoms. I got palpitations when the heart beats out of the chest so fast. I, to my knowledge, have only had one panic attack in my whole life. I'll never forget it the rest of my life. 
it was debilitating. It only lasted like two minutes. I was actually a physician at the time. I had to go to my office and take some breaths and be like, I can breathe, I can breathe, I can breathe. It was unbelievable. It's happened to me one time. I'll never forget it. I thought you'd enjoy this one. Telogenic effluvium. Okay. There's enough of us in this room. Men never realize this. Okay. If me or Pastor Brian, if we lose our, or certainly Arthur, if we lose our hair, if our hair falls out, we wouldn't even notice. Right? If you lost half your hair, we wouldn't notice. Because it grows back in what? Six weeks? I don't know. I have to get a haircut every four, five, six weeks. It just grows back so fast. So this is a lady thing, but it's, it's, it's not sexism here. Um, ladies notice because their hair's obviously a lot of the time longer. Might be a little long, might be a lot long. But when hair's coming out, they know. They feel it. Their hairdresser feels it. They see it in the sink. They're like, it's over. I'll never have hair again. I'm going to be bald in six weeks. I mean, I hear this all the time. Um, telogenic effluvium. I love using big words. It makes me look smart. Just, it's hilarious. Uh, telogenic effluvium is the number one cause for hair loss. By far. By far. What is it? You have the, the hair, about 85% of your hair at any point in time is in the growing phase. It's getting longer. You have 10% that's in the resting, quiet phase. And you have 5% that's in the falling out phase. So when you have a big stressful event in your life, and it can be a lot of things, it can be lack of sleep, family stress, something very depressing, it can be loss, it can be childbearing, it could be having a baby, it could be having a major surgery, car wreck, all these things. That stress puts your hair, just the psychological stress, puts the hair in about half of it into the quiet stage, non-growing phase. And about three to six months later, all 50% falls into the falling out stage at the same time. There it goes. You lose half your hair. And with ladies, depending on how long the hair is, it could take six months to two years to get back to normal. Inner outer man. The stress, there goes the hair. I always say it will come back. Don't buy the vit- don't spend all the money on the vitamins. It's going to happen. Just give it time. There's tons of hair things that want your money on that one, but it just comes back. Irritable bowel syndrome. Here's one of my stories. So, you know, sometimes your emotions go right to your gut. I, I used to run the mile all right, in high school, <clears throat> and uh, I could run a good mile. And before every track meet, I would get. I, I had to go looking for bathrooms like. Here comes the diarrhea. Got to get it all out, and then I can run a good race. And I don't think I was really nervous about whether I was going to win or not. I was really nervous because the mile hurts. Like it, I ran it in a way that hurt really bad because I just I just ran hard, and I think I get so nervous about that that it would just talk right to my stomach. I had to go as a 16, 17, 18 year old. I'd go find me a bathroom. I have people that way. They're that way all the time because they're stressed out. They always have, you know, some people call it a nervous stomach. They have different things, but they basically carry their emotions right there in the gut. Irritable bowel syndrome. Interstitial cystitis is kind of the same way. It's, it's mainly in women, less in men. Uh, but you get this feeling of, 
I have a bladder infection, but it's never a bladder infection. They come to the doctor all the time. It's always, we, they don't see it. They often get antibiotics like five or ten times because they think, ah, oh, it's got to be a bladder infection. But it's actually this bladder inflammation that has a lot to do with stress in life. Not 100%, but it has a lot to do with stress in life. How about migraines? Migraines certainly may not be stress-induced, may not be anxiety-induced, but it's one of the big inducers of migraines. And uh, what is a migraine? We don't even, doctors don't even know what it is. We don't know how it's caused. We don't know what even it, the biology behind it. We don't really don't even understand it. But who would deny that it's not a real thing? I mean, wow, they're impressive. I've treated so many of these in the ER, it's insane. But there's certainly a mind-body connection with some, a large number of migraines. Fibromyalgia, I heard all the time. You know, don't touch me. I just, I can't stand it. Or my skin is on fire. And this is, this is one of the craziest ones. This, this, if this doesn't blow your mind, Takotsubo carditis. Okay, who's ever heard of Takotsubo carditis? Uh, you know, it was, it was something for the books until I actually had a patient with this maybe a year ago. So this, she was, Coming to see me for a hospital follow-up, she'd had a STEMI, which is like the real might kill you heart attack. You throw on the EKG, whoop, everything says, oh, big heart attack. Here's the big one. Rush you to the cath lab. She, so she goes to the cath lab. She had the big whoop on the EKG. Her troponin, which is her muscle enzyme, muscle, uh, I'm sorry, heart protein that shouldn't get damaged and spilled into the blood, spilled into the blood. We're like, oh, there's, you know, obviously heart damage here. This, this is a big one. They do the angiogram, nothing, no blockages, nothing anywhere. But it was, she'd had, I can't remember what her stressor was, but it was a, it was a mental soul stressor that was so bad. She had a heart attack over it. Takotsubo carditis. Takotsubo is an is a Asian physician that described the phenomenon. <clears throat> so I just I throw in Takotsubo to give an example of how impressive the connection between the inner and outer man actually can be. <clears throat> so in all this, okay, let's bring it back down to really why we're here is... Who needs, to, who needs a medical exam in your context? So in your context, when you're counseling counselees, or I, I usually call them patients, but counseling counselees, um, who, who needs to see the doctor? Here's, here's some possibilities that I want to propose to you that as a physician, these would be good examples. Uh, one would be the new onset anxious patient, new onset anxiety. But nuance set really in an unprovoked manner. You know, if there's a cause and effect, please don't involve me or someone like me. <laughs> if, if someone is in sin and it makes them anxious, I mean, there you go. I mean, you don't need me. Don't talk. Uh, so there's no obvious cause and effect. Or another thing is they're unresponsive to earnest efforts. Like they're doing everything they're supposed to do. And this just isn't making sense. Uh, I have permission to share this example. It was a referral from Pastor Gaines. Someone in their, I just made up an age, I can't remember, maybe 60s. Um, 
having a, a lot of just anxiety, lots of just panic attacks, started counseling. I think the counseling was going well. He's responsing. I, I think he was doing what he was supposed to do, and Pastor Gaines was very happy with him doing his things, actually solving some things that need to be solved. Yet, for some reason, these panic attacks, the, the one when, when I finally got to visit with him, I think Pastor Gaines or maybe both of them decided, you need to go see Clayton, uh, was... He, he he told me he was mowing his grass. He's retired. There's really nothing that should bother him. And he had a full-blown panic attack like, I needed to go get back in the house and go see my wife. Like, just not okay. And uh, it was just, I, I just thought, man, why is this guy falling apart? Because a lot of times I don't really find anything. But I, I do the normal due diligence that, that a physician should do. And... Uh, found that his B12 level was like nothing. I Just nothing. Like sometimes we see it low and I'm like, ah, it probably doesn't mean much. He had none. He had the B12 level of someone who has pernicious anemia, like terrible. And they can have all kinds of psychiatric um, reactions when they have pernicious anemia and it's been untreated. Um, it was really, really bad. And after figuring everything out, one of the most common in the world little diabetic medications had caused it. And I'd never, I, I put people on this same diabetic medication. I have 100 patients on it right now probably. I mean, we use it all the time. It's the safest, best medication. But in him, it blocked his B12 from being absorbed for probably years till he had none and he was having these symptoms. A second one, I had someone somewhere around 30 years old having something similar, debilitating uh, panic attacks. And he was a missionary kid. I call him missionary kid. He grew up in the mission field, was here in Texas. His, he had just finished his nursing degree. He was married, had a kid on the way. Uh, finances weren't stressed. He's like, I have nothing to be anxious about. He was just, I, I, but he kept having panic attacks. It wasn't making any sense. And I, and I did due diligence. And he had a terrible thyroid disorder. Awful, 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 awful. Not just, you know, oh, my thyroid's a little off. His, his thyroid had quit. It hadn't been making thyroid for months or longer. And so he was eventually going to just lose all of his health over this thyroid condition. Um, I don't say these to make you think that I need to be looking for these all the time. I just give you these two cases to represent that these things are possible. And so these things do happen, but I don't want you to think that this is actually all that common. Uh, but I want you to realize that it is a possibility. Uh, another reason for a, a medical consult or referring someone, <clears throat> I think memory loss. I, I'd like to see everybody who thinks they have more than age-appropriate memory loss. When I say age-appropriate, of course, when we're 70, we don't think like when we're 20. Like there's a difference. Um, but it, when it doesn't seem age-appropriate, I would really like to see see that, that patient. Lots of causes for this. It could be the medications that they might be taking. It could be dementia. Um, it could be a history of strokes or microvascular disease. You know, we don't think about that enough, but actually... Often as we age, if we have vascular disease, maybe if we already have heart disease, we've had a stent or a heart attack, sometimes the brain is actually shrinking a little bit because the, the arteries are shrinking. And so you, you lose 
you have a vascular dementia. Normal pressure hydrocephalus, I have two or three of these patients, where they had water on the brain, and so they were losing their memory, and then at the same time they were losing their balance. And that was kind of the key, like, well, you're losing your balance and your memory? And so we get an MRI and we realize there's too much pressure on the vein, on the, on the head, and we can actually send you for a neurosurgical procedure that's really not that hard. And they just put this little plastic catheter and they run it down here and drain it into the belly so the extra pressure on the brain is relieved. And actually their symptoms stop progressing and somewhat improve. So certainly another reason. So it's not that you have to remember the balance and memory thing. I just want you to think if the memory doesn't seem age appropriate, it might be a good time to see the doctor. And of course, thyroid disease and B12 deficiency can cause that memory loss. This is another, doesn't happen often, a, a, a huge behavior personality change that doesn't seem to make any sense. And, and I had this. I had a, I had a gentleman, I think he was about 50, uh, with a frontal lobe brain cancer. I think maybe I've even had a couple of these. Uh, the frontal lobe can really change personality. He had a huge personality change. He became uh, very suicidal, and uh, it was because of a cancer. Um, hallucinations. They need to see their doctor, no doubt. Please don't try to counsel through hallucinations by yourself. These can be audio, visual. They can be very grandiose. They can be paranoid. They can be rather delusional. Lots of things can cause this. Please let us help look through that. Refer them. So I'm taking you. If you're not going to go to your doctor, I'm going to take you tomorrow. That should be your response. They could be on drugs. They could. Uh, it could be a medication side effect. Uh, they could have that frontal lobe brain cancers. Obviously, if they're sick, that could be it too. I've had older people. I'm going to say mostly in the 80s and 90s range that might have a bladder, a simple bladder infection, a kidney infection. I see some people shaking their heads like, yep, we've had that in our family, um, that caused hallucinations. That was about it. You think bladder infection in a five-year-old, what are they doing? They're running in the bathroom every 10 minutes and screaming in pain, right? When you're in the eighth and ninth decade, you don't even get that pain. You may not even get the fever. All of a sudden, it's just grandma won't get out of bed anymore or she's hallucinating, or something's not making sense. Actually, she has this kidney infection that's raging, but she doesn't have those young nerves that sense it anymore. So it just does that to them. Probably wouldn't be in the, in the younger crowd. When they're sick, you know it. They're run, little kids run 105 fever, right? Us in this room, when's the last time we ran 105 fever? We can't do that anymore. We don't have the immune systems. But those little kids, you know, you have kids and grandkids. Don't they run like 105 every once in a while? they got these great immune systems. So kids can let us know they're sick, but sometimes when we're older, we don't even know it. <clears throat> a few other things, kidney failure, liver failure, severe hyperglycemia, these things can cause hallucinations. <clears throat> Psychosis, somewhat similar to hallucinations. Um, if you have someone that's really psychotic, I would say let, let them see their doctor as well. My question would be, how do you counsel that? I can't even reason with them. I, if someone's acting psychotic and, and I have them in the exam room for 10 or 15 minutes, I, I can't get two reasonable words to them. And so if you have that, I don't know what you're going to be. I would suggest let, let us get involved. 
let us help calm the situation. There's lots of counseling to be had, but help us to uh, allow us to help calm that. <clears throat> and suicidal intent. Suicidal intent. If someone has suicidal intent, there's actually a legal responsibility there as well. And I don't want you to think that you're actually exporting them over to uh, to the authorities and you're done with them. Actually, you're not done with them. It's actually going to be very temporary. So if they're suicidal intent, I actually recommend taking them to the emergency room. We have a system for this. It's not perfect. Um, but we look and see if there's something medical going on. So we do like we do the drug screens. We do the metabolic screens. We do these different things. We, we try to, to get a uh, social worker in just to help someone who's trained in this to understand, are you really suicidal or not? And they go through that process to, is this real or not? And if they're like, it's really not, they're going to dismiss them right back to you. So be ready for that. If it's real, they're going to take them to some place, you know, one of the hospitals or something where they can't hurt themselves and they usually stay there just a few days. And guess what? They're coming back to us. So I, I, I'd really encourage the counselors, especially our biblical counselors, to say, when that happens and when that happens, don't think I'm letting the state have them and they're, gonna, they're in the system forever, goodbye. I would probably say, oh, no, I better get ready. They're going to be back in just a few days, and I better be ready for this. I would say, Get ready. I would rather that be your posture in the suicidal intent patients. So be ready to re-engage. So what, what does it look like, you know, in, in a typical medical office whenever they come in and, and whenever it's a, a uh, <clears throat> something of the soul or something the psych? Uh, we're going to get a good history. We're going to ask all the questions. We're going to do a neurological exam. Sometimes these neurological exams don't really mean much. You know, I can see most of you today and you don't have a neurological problem. Everybody's walking, talking, moving all their extremities. There's really not a whole lot to do. Sometimes it's a lot more involved. So it just kind of depends on the situation. We do kind of a mental, just like you do, a mental wellness evaluation, you know, looking for soft things. Does this, do they seem depressed? Do they seem anxious? Are, are their ideas flighty and all over the place? Are they, um, are they tough with my staff? Asking all kinds of things. So we want a substance abuse history. Many of these things you're actually doing as well. A substance abuse history. I'm sure many of you actually ask this of your, of your counselees. Family history. A sleep history. We want to know. Um, I had a, a gentleman with fatigue. And he, just, I'm tired. Well, I get that all the time. I'm tired. And so I'm just doing my normal, going through everything. And uh, I started asking about his sleep. And he the gentleman was getting up every two hours to use the bathroom. No wonder you're tired. He didn't tell me anything about it. And so we gave him the old man prostate pill, and now he only had to get up one time a night, and his fatigue went away. So um, kind of sometimes just asking a whole lot of questions, and sometimes you're just totally shocked. Um, a medication review, and I keep calling it polypharmacy. I mean, just the more medicines, you know, some people take one or two, no big deal. I've got patients on 10 or 15, 20. Oh, so the, the, the 
potential of having problems such as sedation and fatigue and easy falls and and mental fogginess is huge when you're stacking that number of medicines. And so sorting that out and trying to think which what is this really helpful in preserving our health and in this fight for health that we want to want to continue and which ones are actually doing more harm than good. I mean, we 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 have these deliberations and these these uh, consultations all the time. And they're tough. They're tough for people who have a lot of medical problems. We do these labs. This Here's just a list of labs. Probably don't mean anything to you, but we do blood work or urine work. And in some occasions, we'll actually do an MRI to look at the, the structure of the brain. <clears throat> so some final implications of this, really of this lecture. This is kind of my... How do I how do I conclude? What what would I say? What would I tell you? I, I would say number one, this just there's just some pearls for you. No, no organization to it. <clears throat> I would not get trapped into playing doctor. You know, if you if if you think about it, if you're confused, then send them to a doctor. Yeah, make that consult or make that make that uh, request or recommendation. Uh, number two, you're going to hear this from all the ACBC lecturers, or at least I have. <clears throat> everything I've heard is don't recommend anybody stop their medication. There's some people that, that really want to, and that's a wonderful thing to want to do. Go tell them, talk to your doctor. Is that a good idea and how to do that? Um, I would say nine out of 10 or most of us, if someone says, Hey doc, I want to be off my medicine. My response is how can I help you do that? Every once in a while where they're at, and their health, it's a very bad idea. You know, if someone says, Doc, I went off my blood pressure pill. I'm like, yeah, but on your blood pressure pill, your systolic is 170. It's a really bad idea right now. But let me talk to you about things you can do that maybe we could get there. Okay? But it's a very, to me, it's a very satisfying conversation when I have someone with the attitude of, I'd like to get off this. What can I do? Ah, what a breath of fresh air. Send them to their doctor. Your doctor will actually love that conversation, or at least most doctors should. Um, number three, most people have a, and this is true, most people that you're going to see in the counseling, what just your run-of-the-mill counseling case, it, it's truly, it's an inner man problem. Um, they really don't need to see me, and they don't need to be on medication. So this is probably more for your frustrated cases, not really fitting into the box. Something's wrong. Um, maybe make that referral. Number four, living medication-free. To me, I'm going to suggest that should really be a secondary goal. I love that goal. I don't want to take medication. I don't like medication. I, don't, I really want to live medication-free as long as I can. And I have lots of patients that share that. They want to live... I think everybody really does. I think everybody wants to live medication-free. Um, but... Your goal is the gospel and bringing them to the Bible and bringing them into a faithful relationship and a God-glorifying um, uh, responses in their life. That's really our goal. And so to, to me, living medication-free is it's really a secondary goal. Um, it's wonderful if we get there. And it's, it's a great time and it's a celebration sometimes when we do. Uh, but sometimes we don't, and that's okay because I really want us focused on the primary goal. 
And number number next, uh, what is your responsibility? Counsel well. Oh, they need it. Oh, they need it. And if you do it, if you give them wise counsel, biblical counsel, God-given counsel, then in many of these instances, yeah, we'll actually see that secondary side effect of no medication. But again, if remember, I don't care. We're going to actually see people glorifying God in their life. That's what we want to see. Number next, culture can change. What do I, what do I, mean, what do I mean by this implication? Is we have this culture where when you're anxious or when you're depressed, what do you do? Do all anxious, depressed people come to their counselor, to their church, asking for biblical counsel? Where do they go? Yes, come to my office all the time. Okay, so, but I really think, I'm telling you, growing up, at least in, in our church, in our city, in our area, this did not exist, and unfortunately it still does not exist, but wow, look what's going on, at least in this area, with some of the local churches getting involved, and you guys saying, hey, I want to be involved in discipleship, and I want to do it well, I want people to teach me how to do it, and I want to, I want to learn, I want to get the theology, but then when I have the theology, I want to actually go out and do it, and guess what? All of you in phase three, you're saying, give me the tough cases. I mean, that nearly makes me want to cry, folks. You're like, give me the tough cases. God, I love you guys. That is one. Culture can change because when y'all take these tough cases or even normal cases and they say, you know what? Y'all should go over to this church over here because they cared about me. And I was saved through their counseling ministry. Or the counseling ministry changed my life. All of a sudden, they keep they quit coming to me for stupid Prozac. All of a sudden, they're like, you want life change? You go to this church over here, and you ask to meet with one of their counselors. That's how I think, I really think we can see cultural changes if we just keep doing what we're doing. And then lastly, no matter the situation, focus on that soul care because it's so important. Don't get too worried about the complexity of the medical case because they still need the soul care. I'll give, I'm going to give one more. What I say is just a beautiful example. Now close. I know we're done. These are an hour, right? Okay. I think we're done. <laughs> One more example of a soul case. We have a sweet family at our church, some adult parents. We have this child that's a, I don't, she's somewhere around 18, 19, 20 years old who's trapped in, in a three-year-old mind from a car accident. And they are doing soul care to her on an ongoing basis. What are they doing? They have a three-year-old that will never be more than a three-year-old mentally. You know what they do? What is the commandment for children? To obey your mother and father, right? They're working on that all the time, bringing her to church. So they're working on, even though the medical implications for this lady, this young woman, is huge. But what are her parents doing every day? They're pointing her to Christ. How? In the very basics of what they're doing, what you would all do with your own three-year-old. 
And they're doing it every day and they're going to continue doing it every day until the Lord calls them home. Ah, it's beautiful. But we can do this with the psychotic. We can do this with the schizophrenic. We can do this with the person on drugs. We can do this in the, the most difficult situations, even if they have a medical, very complex medical angle to it. We shouldn't be scared to be their counselors because they need it, because they still need soul care. All right, let me pray, and then we'll, be, we'll, we'll get our break. Father, we uh, come before you. And Father, we pray that this uh, hour together uh, at the the end of it is just something that is glorifying to you and uh, our thoughts and minds and and how we want to uh, disciple and how we want to make people more and more like you, reflecting you in whatever physical condition that they are. Uh, Father, we pray... Oh, that you would be the energy to that, that you would uh, continue to uh, bless these efforts of our counselors in our local churches. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.